Welcome to Inside New Mexico. I'm Derek Underhill, and I'm talking with the chairman of our Republican Party of New Mexico, former congressman of the 2nd Congressional District of New Mexico, Steve Pierce. I'm sure our listeners have seen this on the news. Vladimir Putin has put 70,000 Russian troops on the border with Ukraine. And then when he meets with President Biden, he says, well, we're not sure what we're going to do with them yet. You know, we want this, we want that. If you go to the trouble to put 70,000 troops on your border with another country, I think you pretty much know what you plan to do, don't you? You uh, absolutely know. And this has been an ongoing dance now for decades. The Russians want Ukraine for one reason, and that is some of the largest pipelines of Europe that connect Europe to the supplies of natural gas and oil and Russia go right through the Ukraine. So they want the Ukraine in order to be able to control the flow of natural gas into and out of Europe. If they are able to control that, then they can charge whatever they want because the Europeans have set up this idea that they're not going to produce their own resources, that they somehow are more green if they use natural gas from outside Europe. That, to me, seems like backward thinking, but that's their thinking. In the past, Russia has been able to shut off access to all of Europe with natural gas, and the prices have skyrocketed, even causing deaths in Europe from people not being able to afford the high price of power. So that's what was going on. And when Joe Biden says that he believes Putin, which is what he's essentially saying, is that, oh, uh, we'll just wait until you kind of figure out what you're going to do with those, and then we're going to make a statement. But the truth is, he already gave them approval for another pipeline, which would bypass the one through Ukraine. But I think the Russians are just feeling like, okay, if we can go ahead and just take the Ukraine while America's in a very weakened state, and they're weak with their weak leadership, they're weak with inflation, they're weak with the commitment of the Congress not being behind any war resolutions. The Democrats control the House, the Senate, and the White House. And so so this is probably the weakest point we'll have in decades. So uh, you see that China and Russia are flexing their arms and they're going to change the geopolitical makeup of the world. When President Trump was in office, we were shipping oil to Western Europe. They weren't dependent on Russia for that. Didn't that mess up Russia's plans and lower the price of oil for Europe? Absolutely. And that's the value of us exploring for our own resources and exporting it. We passed about six or eight years ago, and I was one of the key members of the initial bill, but we passed the bill that allowed us to export oil for the first time in 40 years. So we untied our hands from behind our back. We had tied them behind our own back with legislation. And when we did that, then uh, the U.S. began to find dramatic new resources of oil, a lot in New Mexico. And because of that bill, we had a destination for that oil and we began to be not only self-sufficient in energy, we began to export energy around the world to our friends in Europe, to our friendly allies in Asia. And so it was a very productive bill. And Joe Biden was not in office, but a few days before he began to shut those resources off, began to tell people, if you're investing on public lands, then don't think that you're going to get your investment back. So it has choked off our supply of oil and we're not able to provide our own oil, much less to our friends and allies around the world. So the Russians and Chinese know this is a very weak administration, especially regarding international policy and our national security. And so they're going to take advantage of it while they can. I'm curious about that bill that got passed back in the 70s that said we couldn't sell our oil outside the United States. When that got passed, do you suppose there were any Russian lobbyists that were 
hoping to push that through so that they would have the whole Western European market to themselves. Yeah, I suspect that uh, you remember the Abscam scandal was back about that time. International influence was playing heavy on our Congress, and so I don't doubt that it was then. But you know, Russia is not the only place that's creating instability. Japan and the U.S. have recently started engaging in talks that will set up a contingency plan for the two countries, Japan and the U.S., to act in case China does something that is very aggressive in Taiwan. We've talked on the program recently about the Chinese flying into the Taiwanese ADIS, crossing their air defense identification zone. And uh, those were very serious threats. They've been doing it with hundreds of flights. And now then the U.S. and Japan, Japan is the one that's pushing this because they fear that they would be the next in line if Taiwan falls under the Chinese control. Keep in mind, the Chinese just basically were given the gift of Hong Kong, which was the world's financial market it's there. They want Taiwan to get the telecommunications network. They would want Japan in order to get their manufacturing and their high-tech industries. So a very unstable world looking at us today. And as I recall from history class, the United States in the treaty at the end of World War II said that Japan was not allowed to have a military and that we would protect them. That's a correct statement. And so for years, you didn't find any guns, no weaponry, no military in Japan. And so that longstanding relationship with us looking over the shoulder to stabilize them has been very important for world stability. You know, as we look at these deeply unsettled pieces, if we tune the microscope down and look more closely, we're seeing that it's not just a threat against the U.S., but worldwide a threat against Christians. The Western Journal had an article just this last week. A guy named Anthony Jose was writing for them on December the 22nd, and he talks about the 30 million Christians who are in danger with the anti-Christian hysteria that's going through India right now. When I was in Congress, I was able to go to India on a congressional delegation. We were visiting with Prime Minister Singh, and I brought up the fact that he was allowing persecution of Christians. He got immediately angry and defensive and looked like he was a wasp ready to sting out on the edge of his chair. And we're there with just a couple of congressmen or maybe a senator and him. And he ardently defended the fact that they were not doing it. And so I gave him a couple of State Department reports that showed that it was in fact true. Well, the persecutions then lowered down. But now we've got new rulers in India. They have passed an anti-conversion law, which prohibits the conversion to other faiths. And so now then Christians are facing boycotts, physical altercations, legal harassment. Armed groups are going around the country looking for Christians to harass, looking for Christian locations, schools to burn, looking for Christian literature to again confiscate and burn. And so a very dangerous time. But it's also being played out here in America. David Horowitz has written a book recently called The Dark Agenda, in which he talks about the absolute war on Christianity. And he talks about that the discussions and, and the differences on abortion are far deeper than just the abortion question. They intend, the left intends to use the abortion question to simply take away the rights of Christians in this country. And so for us, as a Christian nation, it's a very unsettling track that we're on, but especially for the practicing Christians. So there are people who would not 
be that distressed if Christians were under attack. But for those practicing Christians, it's going to be a horrible time worldwide, but in this country as well. Stay tuned. In the next segment, we've got Jim Jordan. He's on the floor of the House of Representatives in a passionate speech defending Mark Meadows against the attacks of the Democrats. Then in the third segment, uh, we're going to talk about a book that I'm reading right now, which discusses this divide in the U.S., this divide between Christians and non-Christians, this divide between the rural and urban centers, this divide between conservatives and liberals. Marie Matsuki Mockett has written this wonderful book called American Harvest. And so stay tuned for the rest of the program and we'll get into those subjects in the next two segments. Attention, New Mexico veterans. If you were honorably discharged from the U.S. Armed Forces, you've earned state and federal benefits, and the New Mexico Department of Veteran Services is standing by to assist you. State benefits include a veteran's property tax exemption, education and training, and transportation services. We can also assist with claims for federal VA benefits. The state of New Mexico and this radio station thank you for your service. More information at nmveterans.org or 1-866-433-8387. Thanks for staying with us on Inside New Mexico. Here is the congressman from Ohio, Jim Jordan, defending Mark Meadows on the House floor. Democrats prevent Republicans from serving on the select committee. Democrats kick Republicans off standing committees. Democrats try to make D.C. a state. Democrats try to end the filibuster. They try to pack the court. They do secret impeachment hearings in the bunker in the basement of the Capitol. And they just said a naval veteran is afraid of the truth. And now today... Now today they are destroying executive privilege. The United States Supreme Court held those who assist the president must be free to explore alternatives in the process of shaping policies and making decisions and to do so in a way that many would be unwilling to do except privately. The court further stated presidential administrations of both parties have asserted that president's close advisors are an extension of the president. Who are these close advisors? Who are these individuals who are an extension of the President of the United States? Well, there's actually a bunch. But certainly the three most important are the National Security Advisor, the White House Counsel, and the Chief of Staff to the President. And I would argue the Chief of Staff is the closest of the close. He's the one who spends more time with the Commander-in-Chief than anyone else. Now, why do we have this privilege? Why do we have it? Why is the decision-making process between the President and his close advisors a private matter? Why is that? Well, guess what? Supreme Court told us the answer to that one, too. Quote, executive privilege serves the necessity for protection of the public interest in candid, objective, and even harsh opinions in presidential decision-making. Let me just say that again. Executive privilege serves the public interest. It's for us. It's for we the people. It's not for President Trump. It's not for Mark Meadows. It's not for any president. It's not for any chief of staff. It's for the country. But the Democrats... They're not going to worry about that. They're going to forget about that because they think this is good politics. They think this is all about politics. They used to care. They used to care about executive privilege when Republicans wanted information. During the Fast and Furious scandal, President Obama asserted executive privilege for bureaucrats at ATF and DOJ. And think about it. A bureaucrat in a federal agency gets privilege, but not the chief of staff to the president because Mark Meadows worked for President Trump. And Democrats have been out to get President Trump before he ever took office, when they first tried to spy on him, actually did spy on him in 2016. They're going to destroy this precedent, even though 
even though this very question is in front of the courts as we speak. They're going to destroy this precedent that's been around since 1794 when our first president first asserted it. And for what? What did Mark Meadows do? He gave the committee thousands of emails. He gave the committee thousands of text messages. And he agreed to come in front of the committee and answer any question as long as it didn't violate executive privilege. The privilege that's not his to waive, it belongs to the president. The privilege that the court said is critical to executive decision making. The privilege that exists for the benefit of we the people. And the privilege that's been around since George Washington asserted it. But Democrats says, nope, not good enough, Mr. Meadows. You've got to come in and answer any and every question we ask you or we're going to try to put you in prison. It's disgusting. It is so disgusting. Think about it. We weren't allowed to know who the anonymous, so-called anonymous whistleblower was when they tried to impeach President Trump, did impeach President Trump, but Democrats can destroy executive privilege. We weren't allowed to, the country wasn't allowed to know what took place in that bunker in the basement of the Capitol during impeachment, but they get to know any and everything they want about conversations between the president and his top advisor. This is so wrong. Democrats on the select committee, they also can't make up their minds. With Steve Bannon, they said, you have to appear in person to assert any privilege. And because he didn't come, they held him in contempt. With Jeff Clark, they said, come in person, assert privilege, which he did. And they said, nope, that's not good enough. And they held him in contempt. And now with Mark Meadows, he gave him thousands of documents and agreed to come. And they still said, not good enough. Not good enough. What a, what a charade. Make no mistake. Make no mistake. When Democrats vote in favor of this resolution, it is a vote to put a good man in prison. That is what the, don't pretend to argue either. Don't even attempt the argument. No, no, no. This is just, this is just the House acting. The Justice Department will make a decision whether to prosecute or not. Come on. Is there anyone who believes that? It took the Attorney General all of five days to treat parents as terrorists. All of five days. If a left-wing political group can write the White House asking the Department of Justice to use the Patriot Act against moms and dads, and five days later the Attorney General of the United States does just that, then what do you think he's going to do when 225 Democrats in the House of Representatives ask him to put President Trump's chief of staff in prison? I've been in Congress a while, 15 years. I've seen Democrats weaponize the government to attack their political opponents. Ten years ago, they used the IRS to target good people around this country, good conservative people. Five years ago, they used the, they used the FBI to spy on, abuse the FISA process, used the FBI to spy on President Trump's campaign. Two months ago, two months ago, it was the Department of Justice using the counterterrorism division at the FBI to put a threat tag, a label, a designation on parents who had the gall to go speak up at a school board me uh, meetings and defend their kids, speak out against some crazy curriculum. And now, now they're destroying executive privilege. Now they're attacking that. And this might be the worst. Destroying a precedent that has been around since George Washington and treating Mark Meadows as a criminal. Mark Meadows is our former colleague. He is a good man. And he is my friend. And this is, this is as wrong as it gets. And I think deep down, everyone knows it. I think they know it as well. 
They know this is wrong. We've all served with this guy. He is co-sponsored. He's done more work with Democrats than probably any Republican. We all know what a good man he is, and this is as wrong as it gets. You all know it. But your, your lust for power, your lust to get your opponents is so intense, you don't care. I hope you reconsider. I hope we don't take this action. That was Congressman Jim Jordan from Ohio speaking on the House floor. Steve Pierce and I will be back in a moment. We'll talk about the great divide between the left and the right in our country and the persecution of Christians in our country and around the world on Inside New Mexico. National Guard and Reserve members are true leaders, both in the military and in the workplace. They are highly skilled and get the job done every day. Employer support of the Guard and Reserve, ESGR, can help you recruit top-notch service members to your workforce. Hiring Guard and Reserve members is good for your business and good for your community. Visit esgr.mil employers to learn more. Welcome back to Inside New Mexico. I'm talking with the chairman of our Republican Party, Steve Pierce. And Steve, I know we're going to talk in this segment about the division in the country. And I take that a little further before we get to your point. I'm starting to think we're getting played by our enemies. If you're China, if you're Russia, you'll love the fact that you see marriages breaking up over I'm for Biden or I'm for Trump or I'm red or I'm blue. I think we're getting played because I remember, and you go back further than me, but Nixon McGovern, that was pretty heated, but we didn't have anything like we have now. I think they're throwing flames on the fire. They'd love to see us in a civil war where they could just come in and take us over. Maybe that seems a little extreme to some people, but when you look at what's happening on social media and different things, things like they're fanning the flames, wanting us to fight with each other. Yeah, and we're currently showing a, a zeal to fight with each other that is unprecedented, except for the time of the Civil War. So Marie Matsuki Maket, her mom was Japanese, and of course she grew up during World War II, but she married an American who happened to be a farmer, a wheat farmer in Nebraska. The Mocket family had owned for 100 years about 7,000 acres of wheat land in Nebraska. And each year they would have a custom harvester come through. Those custom harvesters start down in Texas and the, the wheat ripens at roughly 20 miles per day. So you can imagine that they start in Texas and they move 20 miles north every day. And that's assuming that the weather is perfect and which it never is. Those custom harvesters work all the way to Idaho and she followed them and traveled with them, worked with them out on the harvest. Now this is particularly interesting to me because when I was about 14, Mom had an uncle who participated in the custom wheat harvest, and she had suggested into my fertile mind that I might want to go along with my uncle and travel all summer long on that wheat harvest, just sort of like uh, carnival workers moving from one town to the next and carrying equipment. It never did work out. But reading her account is fascinating how the, this 20 and 30 and 40,000 dollar contract with each individual is conducted by a handshake. And she said you'd never find that in the city, that everything is conducted through lawyers, but through the broad swath of fly over America, that total red zone all the way from inside the left coast to the east coast, the blue areas generally are on the exterior part of America, 
the red parts are the interior parts, and the red parts are the ones where they actually do things, they actually fix things. And she said, that's a major divide between city and urban. She said, people in the city, they don't know how to fix anything. And so you get this kind of fascination with getting back to nature and and living on your own. The whole discussion of organic foods, she says, is, is literally a discussion of the great divide. The great divide being the people who say that GMOs harm folks and the farmers who say, wait, I used to farm with those seeds that were susceptible to pests and they couldn't grow fast enough to crowd the weeds out. And we always had weeds in the harvest. And as they find the genetically modified grains, they grow better, they grow faster, they grow with less water. And so the farmers say, wait, GMOs are not harmful. They're actually helpful to feeding the world. And then the organic crowd says, yeah, but that's the problem. We're feeding too much population. We don't have enough food to sustain the population. It needs to be a smaller population. And so you have this great divide plays out politically. The whole discussion on environmentalism originates in this great divide. The environmentalists saying that those dirty jobs, they should be sent out to the other countries. So they're willing to kill the timber industry. They're willing to kill the coal industry. And we're going to give those to those third world countries. Keep in mind that that never works. The third world countries don't have the capability to expand their economies to create those jobs. And so they kill our industries to ship them to third world countries and actually other developed nations pick up our jobs. And so that's okay with them, too, because the left thinks that Americans have too much, that we own too much. Therefore, if we give away more of our jobs, we wouldn't have as much prosperity. We wouldn't have so much more than the rest of the world. Our houses wouldn't be bigger. We wouldn't be able to drive better and faster cars. We wouldn't all be able to fly. And so they think our standard of living should be moderated down. And again, we as conservatives say, no, we should lift all boats with the same ocean that if we will increase the economy, that the poor people will have more income and that they'll have better job opportunities. Instead, we crowd jobs out of here, send them to Venezuela or Iran or wherever we send them, then the working poor don't have jobs here and they have to depend on government payments to make their living. And that, again, is one of the great divides that the left wants people to be dependent on the government. Right now, the government was paying more to people to stay home and not work than you could get by working. And so it created tremendous problems for our employers who could not find workers during the COVID. And so this great divide that she talks about is playing out across America. And she digs deeply into the questions of faith. She herself is not a believer, but she also is not willing to ridicule the believers. Again, this family that she's traveling with, the Walgamuths, the patriarch is a guy named Eric. He and his family travel this custom wheat harvest every year. And so she's looking at that family who are strong evangelicals, and she goes to church with them and tries to figure it out. She talks about being very confused at first when she's in churches because she said none of it makes sense. Then as she travels with them more and more and they're having great discussions while they're driving in the combines or whatever in the wheat trucks, they're having great discussions. And of course, this is over months. And she points out the questions that she's asking and and that we all should be asking can't be answered in a simple yes or no. They can't be answered in a sentence. They can't even be answered in a conversation. You have to kind of live it and you have to kind of live in it and see the answer over a period of time. And that's what she's doing as her eyes are open and she sees a great need for the Christian faith and a great calming 
in the lives of those people who believe versus the very frantic nature of the people in New York. Uh, at one point, she goes back to New York for a two-week class, and she talks about how that the peace and the calm that she had kind of made a part of herself disappeared almost immediately. And so as she went back and joined the harvest, and she kind of had to learn that peaceful calming again there. So I would recommend it highly, American Harvest by Marie Matsuki Mockett, talking about the things that we've been talking about earlier in the program, why the left hates Mark Meadows, why Jim Jordan has to defend Mark on the floor of the house. I know them both. I know them well. They're very good men. And why does the left hate them? Why does the left hate Christians? And why are Christians under attack, not just in this country, but worldwide? And so these are questions that are not going to be answered easily. I would recommend that people be thinking about them as you start this new year. Think about the great divide in this country that you were talking about, the fact that families break up over politics, that nothing transcends the political differences now much at all. So it's a good journey to involve yourself in, but let's take a look at the other side. Let's commit to know the other side better, to work with them more, even within our own families. And let's start healing the divides that split us. I think that's the best New Year's resolution that we could have is to learn more about the opposite viewpoint and learn more how to defend our own viewpoints. And I think that we'll go a long way to healing the political divide that's in this country. But fascinating reading. Thank you, Steve Pierce. If you've been listening to us and agree with what we've been talking about or would like to find out more, you can do that by contacting the Republican Party of New Mexico. The website is newmexico.gop. The party has a Facebook page and a Twitter account. The handle is at New Mexico GOP. If you would like to talk to someone in person, maybe volunteer some time, you can do that by calling 505-298-3662. That's 505-298-3662. Steve, your final thoughts for the year. I wish every one of our listeners a happy new year. It's already been a wonderful Christmas season for us as we move into the new year. I think that we have a lot to look forward to in 2022. I think that the nation is going to reestablish its conservative course. I think the leaders nationally are going to be put into office that will steer us on that course. But God bless all of our listeners. And again, a happy new year to you. 